Hello, everyone. I just want to say uh, I'm very happy. Uh, really, it's an honor and a privilege to have uh, Darvell DeRoche here. We're going to spend some time to get to know him. Also, we're going to spend some time uh, with a little interview. So I've got some questions that the students put together. Really great questions. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Darvell DeRoche. <coughs> Well, good evening, class. Uh, thank you very much, Enfan, for the introduction. Enfan um, has told me so many good things about you, you all in this class. He told me that you guys are very, um, very interested in finance. Uh, you guys are hardworking, and um, you really pay attention to the materials. And you know, you you ask some good questions, which you know, based on some of the questions that that Enfan has verbally told me, you know. That's, that's a good thing. They, they're really good questions. So you guys are putting in the work, the work and the time to really understand finance. Um, finance really applies to all businesses, whatever it is, whether you are a tech company, uh, you Facebook, LinkedIn, whether you're a construction company, whether you're an apparel, comp apparel company, it applies everywhere. You must, every business owner and business executive must have a adequate, um, uh, confidence and adequate knowledge of finance to run their business effectively. So let me kind of start off with just giving you guys a little bit of background of myself in terms of how I sort of am in the position I am right now is um, I am a practicing attorney. Um, I started off my career at uh, Bank of America, used to be LaSalle Bank. Um, I was an attorney and officer, started off as a staff attorney, uh, lowest uh, attorney in the in the department and youngest at the time as well. Grew right out of law school, which is almost unheard of. Um, started off, did not have a banking or financial background. My um, major in college was, or I, I was the major in English and political science and a minor in history. So numbers was not my, uh, you know, at the time I thought my strong suit. <laughs> and so it's interesting that I felt um, that my first job out of law school um, I taught school for a year and a half before going to law school, but it's interesting that my first job out of law school was in the banking and financial um, services industry. And so when I got to um, Bank of America, you know, I was almost like a fish out of water, but once they throw you in there, you really learn and you, um, you know, you learn by doing. So I was able to grasp a lot of the financial terms, the banking terms, uh, basis points, and so on and so forth, so that I was I could adequately and competently represent the internal clients that I had. So I spent about four years at the bank, uh, was promoted, and eventually I wanted some more deal work as I was became intrigued by um, finance and the banking in general and. I took a job with a company called National Equity Fund, in which I was the Associate General Counsel handling and administering this um, real estate development um, program called New Markets Tax Credits Financing, so which was uh, part of what was called Structured Finance. And uh, I spent some good time with um, National Equity Fund. I got my hands even more dirty in finance and learned some, it was called high finance, um, as as the attorney, so I was supporting some of the business folks, but um, I learned um, learned way more about finance and the real estate economics than what I ever dreamt that I would learn. Um, so thereafter, 
um, I went into private practice with a law firm called Magal Law Group. Um, in that capacity, I served as um, of counsel for them. We represented small, mid-sized companies in mergers, acquisitions, uh, real estate development and finance, and uh, so on and so forth. And now I currently serve as a co-managing partner of the Kanga Development Group, uh, which is a real estate investment, asset management, and development company based in Chicago, which specializes in are uh, revitalizing communities um, through responsible and sustainable development. Um, in that capacity, I, along with my co-managing partner and um, and another partner, we oversee uh, projects and we originate projects that meet our core mission of really enhancing and um, enhancing community through affordable housing um, and adding really a value um, value to the community by bringing these sort of um, aesthetically pleasing um, housing um, to, to the local communities where they had previously not existed. So uh, with that said, uh, I'm very happy to be here and I thank and fond for the invitation. And I know that you all had have some questions and that's it. I'm going to turn it over to Fon and we can get started. Well, great. So we're really happy to have you here. So we've got a few questions, um, really great questions from the students. Uh -huh. We're going to jump right into that. Um, the first question that we have is, how do you know what the community needs are? And then what process do you follow to know what will enhance the community and the tenants everyday life? Well, <clears throat> we, we're all my partners and I and our acquisition staff, we are all very familiar with the uh, communities in which we um, do business. Um, for example, right now our focus is really on underserved areas within the city of Chicago as well as the colic um, surrounding near suburbs. I myself am a resident of the of High Park. I'm familiar with the other underserved communities such as Woodlawn, South Shore, and so we have a personal knowledge uh, from which that, in terms of our uh, understanding what the community needs are. And second, we of course do our research. We um, connect with the local uh, local and state politicians. Uh, we ascertain their thoughts in terms of what are their needs, what they like to see. And our everyday interactions with our tenants, um, and I would call them stakeholders, um, gives us a good understanding of what they need. Um, the number one need right now for our tenants and just the community in general is affordable, decent housing um, such that these folks can raise their kids, um, you know, come home in a decent uh, place in which they can lay their heads and not feel as if they are, you know, rejected or as if they are quote unquote living in an undesirable area. Um, our experience is, is that once our tenants um, feel as if they are welcome and they are taken care of, the property is taken care of, then they respect the property, uh, which of course enhances our bottom line. So, um, in terms of us understanding what the needs of the communities are, I think, and then to kind of recap, it comes from our personal um, 
experience of living in those communities, growing up in those communities, um, and also the uh, market research and the uh, relationships that we have with leaders of those communities, and also our past experience with our own tenants who reside in those communities. So I think we, um, you know, we have attacked this and analyzed this from different perspectives, which gives us a good understanding of what the community needs. Okay, that's great. That's great. Now, how do you choose your projects, um, and what type of financial ratios do you consider when choosing your clients, and why? Well, we choose. This is kind of an interconnected question because um, our company is in terms of selecting clients we are the client so we have we have national uh financing companies and high net worth individuals who are our investment partners but the deals are ours so we we broker we acquire we manage our own assets so in, in, in actuality we are the client um the way we select projects, you know, real estate finance and uh, development is, 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 it could be complicated, but um, once you break it down, it's really not. Um, at, the, at our core, we are a for-profit entity. We're not a community development entity. So the bottom line has to be met and there has to be a profit. There has to be a profit motive for every project that we select. Um, so the numbers have to make sense. The, um, because at the end of the day, we are stewards of our investors' money. And so we have to turn a profit. These investors, of course, have invested in our company because they believe in our core mission of developing and sustaining these underserved communities. But at the end of the day, they do require some sort of return on their investment. So the way we select the projects is we look, we look for areas, we look for assets that may be undervalued, um, not maybe that are undervalued and that could with our expertise um, as brokers as developers or as uh, contractors that we could essentially bring the value up we could uh, really heighten um, I think about this a little bit we could we could really you know, bring bring these properties to life in a positive way for the communities as well as make make you know get our returns for our investors. So one of the things we look at is really you know distressed properties that may be in foreclosure or maybe in receivership. Um, so these properties need 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 extensive work, but they already have tenants in them as well. So it may be what's called low occupied in real estate. Anything south of eighty percent occupied, actually more like eighty-eight percent occupied, is considered an underoccupied building. And some owners it may let the building go to waste if they don't have sufficient capital to maintain it. So we look for those type of assets and those type of um, projects that we can come in with our expertise um, in construction, asset management, property management. And more importantly, our understanding of the of the underlying community dynamics uh, to see whether these are, are viable projects. So those are the, the type of projects we look at. It's really um, it's really on a case by case basis, but at our core, the projects have to 
have a positive impact on the community that we serve. Okay, that's great, that's great. I've got another great question. What is your greatest failure and what did you learn from it? That's, that's a good one. That's a, that's a very good question. Um, my, great, my greatest failure thus far, um, and there they have been many, <laughs> um, but I will say it's something that's not related to this company, but it's related to my business experience and the past business and legal experience. Um, at one time, I was representing a company and I was internal at the same time. And I, there was a, a, a problem we had, uh, a, a legal matter that we had. And we analyzed the legal matter. Um, we thought that we were in the right. And we were in the right. But sometimes being right is not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily um, result in the, in the best result for your company. So we made some decisions because we were right, because we thought we were right and we were fastidious in that. Um, in which I wish I could have taken back because that would um, that would that would have prevented some negative publicity that the company received, you know, based on a bad a bad lawsuit, which we thought was a frivolous lawsuit, but nonetheless, sometimes a lawsuit for a young company could really be a death knell. And so I wish, in hindsight, that we had, even though we we knew we were right, we were we were in the correct position. Um, I wish we maybe had considered settling the matter before it um, had had sort of arisen to a lawsuit. So I hope that adequately answers that question. Uh, that was great. That was great. Let's take one more question. Now, Ikinga is a limited liability company. And because it's an LLC, you have flexibility to choose the type of structure. Mm -hmm. Now, what type of structure does your company have and why? So is it sole proprietorship, partnership, corporation, or S-corporation? Um, well, Ikenga is a limited liability company. It's essentially structured as an as a, as a S-corp. So that would, that, um, that's our tax designation. So uh, the company is not taxing its individual capacity. So the tar partners are taxed on on the profits individually. We selected that because we are small. There are only three of us. We do have staff, and so we do we do pay we do pay ourselves a salary. But at the end of the day, is um, we selected the LC format because we are in essence a partnership with limited liability. That's precisely what a LLC is, and it's most tax advantages advantages for us as well as it's, it's more flexible. Okay, well that, that is great. Um, do you have any other comments or, or anything you'd like to share? Well, I would say um, it's good that you guys have taken this class. So some of you required uh, to do so based on, your, based on your majors or based on the areas of concentration. But I feel as if had I been in your shoes, you know, I don't know, 20, 15 years ago, and I was still, in, well, actually more than that. <laughs> but if I were in your shoes, if I had been in your shoes, I definitely would have taken a finance class um, such as this from a professor, such as Dr. Uh, Mr. Upon. 
um, I've had to learn all of this on the job. And so I had, like I said, I did not have any financial uh, background, economics, and so on and so forth. So I had to learn this on the job and it took me just some time to even talk about finance and talk about business in the way I'm doing. So you guys are well ahead of the curve. I'm sure that after this, you guys are going to bigger and better things. And I wish you all the best. So just study hard, continue doing what you're doing, and, and uh, things will be okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been really an honor and privilege to have you here um, with us and to share this with the class. I know they really appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, So thank you very much. All the best. Thank you.